Downtown Productions in cooperation with Zone Radio presents Downtown, the podcast. From the historic Zone Radio studios, here's your host, Rich Kimball. Hey there, welcome in. It is indeed Downtown, the podcast, episode number 176. Rich Kimball with Carrie Haskell. Downtown is presented every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. We're uh, venturing into the music world on the podcast this time around. A couple of guys that uh, collectively have been making music for, uh, well, more than five decades now. A little bit later on, founding member of the association, Russ Jaguer, talks about the making of hits like Cherish, Along Comes Mary, Windy, Never My Love, and more. But we get it underway by welcoming back to the podcast singer-songwriter Marshall Crenshaw, whose more than four decades of writing and recording great music are chronicled in a new double live album called The Wild Exciting Sounds of Marshall Crenshaw Live in the 20th and 21st Century. We had a chance to talk recently with Marshall about that brand new album and uh, the music that makes it up. I'm going to talk about the album, of course, but also been very excited to see that uh, you've been back out doing some live shows and working with the smithereens again. What's that been like to get back out on the road in front of an audience? Uh, it's kind of remarkable, you know. It feels a little odd, actually, but, uh, I mean, it feels great. It's it's just, uh, you know, like a transition, I guess, to get used to being out in the world again. Uh, funny. But uh, anyway, I, the first show I was on was uh, maybe like seven, eight weeks ago, and it was a multi-artist Bob Dylan tribute thing uh, at the Bearsville Theater. And, you know, all of us, it was our first time doing a show since uh two years ago but like you know the audience remembered what to do and <laughs> we all re- remembered how to do what we do and everybody just kind of the audience is it seems like we're all just kind of falling back into it like well okay like did anything happen interesting happen since we saw <laughs> each other the last time you know <laughs> it was just funny but uh, you know i mean i love it obviously right well, the, the new album is so good and in perfect timing for uh, the wild, exciting sounds of Marshall Crenshaw live in the 20th and 21st centuries. It, it's like a gift to those of us who've been missing live music. Oh, I didn't even think of that. But you're right. Yeah, it's, it's, all, it's all live. So uh, if you haven't been to a show, you can get that record and hear the crowd and you know maybe it'll trigger something so for, for you what's a what do you think is a better representation uh, of you as an artist is it when you do a studio recording or is it seeing you in a live performance i just try to rise to the occasion whatever it is you know i, I mean i love record making always have it's like a craft and an art and all that you know and uh but then when you're on stage and playing in the moment that's a that's a different kind of exercise of course but you know just i try to just try to do the best i can whatever the situation you know well the album is so great because it, it really does uh, encompass 
your career and uh, on, on disc one, part one, uh, some great songs from early on, including uh, kicking it off with Monday Morning Rock and Try from from Field Day, which you know, I, I've told you before is one of my favorite albums of all time. And it, it there were some critics along the way, but I don't know, those those songs to me, live or whether in the studio recording are still just great pieces of music. Well, thank you. And uh, I'm glad you feel that way. I did a, a licensing deal just recently for my first two albums to come out in uh, 40th anniversary editions. Th- that's going to happen like next year. And so, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, Field Day back on the market. I mean, back out in the world. And, uh, you know, there'll be like bonus tracks and the whole nine yards and everything. I was in but a, anyway. Yeah. I was in a so. supermarket the other day and, uh, what do I hear? But whenever you're on my mind and I thought in, in any kind of just and fair universe, everybody would be singing along because it, it would have been one of the classics uh, from the early eighties that everybody knew because it had been a, a number one hit and had hung out for about six months on the billboard charts. Well, that was uh, the plan from my end. But uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah, it really is kind of remarkable, honestly, like how much, you know, that song is out is out there like the way it is because, it, like you said, it wasn't a hit, even though it sure sounds like one, but it, it was a cult hit and not a, like a real hit. But uh, that's a that's a long kind of dirty story that I don't want to get into, but, but, you know, nevertheless that, yeah, that song, it's like, I, I hear it myself. I hear it in public all the time. And I think, wow, I guess maybe I was right about this. one. <laughs> uh, a lot of cuts from the first album on uh, this new live album as well. A brand new lover. There she goes again, which uh, I don't know. That's, that's always in my Marshall Crenshaw top three of all time. Yeah. Thanks. And my brother with the uh, triplets on the hi-hat. And uh, I copied that drum beat from It's All Right by the Impressions. You know that one? I sure do. Absolutely. Yeah, we used that drum beat a couple times with the triplets on the hi-hat. We used it on There She Goes Again. And then we used it on the song on Field Day called Try at a slower tempo. You know, we always got a lot of ideas from R&B records and black music over the years. We're talking with Marshall Crenshaw. The new album is out now. It is absolutely terrific. Uh, The wild, exciting sounds of Marshall Crenshaw. Live recordings from uh, the 80s uh, up to present times. It wouldn't be a Marshall Crenshaw performance without some great covers. And and you do a a couple great Elvis songs, Big Hunk of Love and Got a Lot of Living to Do. Yeah, Elvis Presley, right? I still like Elvis Presley. And uh, I don't know, it's kind of not really sure what his place in history is going to be at this point. But, uh, uh, you know, I still like to hear him and I don't play those tunes anymore. But but that, you know, there's a lot of like rockabilly revivalism going on at that time. And that was a, a big part of our presentation for sure. Well, and, but, uh, and your taste in music and your knowledge of particularly 50s and 60s music is, is so great. 
Uh, it's a fantastic cover that you do of uh, the Jive Fives. What time is it? Yeah, that was an, uh, a, kind of an amazing surprise for me just to hear that there was a live version of that tune and that we played it really, really nicely and on stage. You know, I think maybe we're playing it kind of fast because I was nervous as to whether the audience was going to enjoy it or not or something. But, you know, that's what I really liked about hearing the tapes of disc one is it's just how sharp we were, you know, like we had these cool arrangements that worked with just a minimal number of people. That one's that's a good example. It's just, you know, it's off. It's, uh, anyway, yeah, I, I'm very fond of that one. You might be the only guy, I think I've told you this before, you might be the only guy that covers, could cover in a concert uh, everything from ABBA to Bootsy Collins. Right. Don't forget Al Green. We do this Al <laughs> Green song on the album. Yes. And, uh, I mean, we actually play it okay, too, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind of brave of us to take to take that one on, but... Uh, Anyway, you know, we just are having fun. That's that's what struck me about it. Is it just sounds like kids having fun, and that's what it is. We're just so in love with what we're doing, and the audience is giving us all kinds of uh, affirmation, and it's just really fun to listen to for me. Oh, it's it's fun. It brought a smile to my face, and that's look. That's the the beauty of music is is that power to to bring joy, but also make you feel other things. And and it's all on this album. And uh, and the second side, this too, even more of that, but more recent songs, more re- and uh, a couple of terrific songs from uh, uh, the album Jagged Land. I love passing through, and, and that one just that gets you right, gives you all the feels, as the kids say. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, this too is nice. There are six tracks on there uh, where it's me and the Bottle Rockets. And, uh, you know, I, I just got such a huge amount of energy from those guys when we played together. And, uh, you know, it's like uh, they're all taken from the same performance, but we were just like really locked in that night, you know. Now, the last I, time I wish that the I wish that the liner notes for this two were included in the in the package so you could read the whole saga because if you get the album you know with the two discs it really does kind of cover my whole time span if you're interested in that but then I also wrote liner notes for both discs and it's almost like an autobiography in there kind of you know well and it's the only way you know I, I I'm like you I grew up listening to albums and part of that experience was uh first of all checking out the cover and the artwork and seeing what that was all about but then sitting down with those liner notes to break down every song and to and to as we used to do even think about the track sequencing and what that meant right absolutely um the the thing with the liner notes to this too on this album is uh the record label that's the record label was owned and operated by a guy that I've known since 1979, I think, you know, a long time friend. And, uh, you know, he says that they're determined to like, you know, not have their, like the amount of 
material that they use, you know, like the amount of paper and, you know, like the, the amount of plastic in the thing. He says, you know, they really want to keep all of that to them to a minimum. And, uh, so I'm fine with that, but, you know, therefore he put the liner notes to disc two just on the internet only. Mm. So you, you can only see it that way. But anyhow, that's my only beef about the whole thing. And, and I'm not really seriously beefing about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> uh, also on side two, all right, I'll admit it publicly. It's my favorite uh, Marshall Crenshaw song. Uh, television light. I love the imagery. I think it's some of your best lyrics, and I, I find it to be such a cinematic song. Ah, that's a good word. Well, great, you know. Uh, I mean, I like it too, so I'm glad you like it. And the guys in the Bottle Rockets just play it great, too. We really had a nice thing going. One of the fellas in the band decided uh, during lockdown that he liked being at home and not leaving his house. And uh, <laughs> honestly, you know, they, that was his choice. It's like, this is where I want to be. I'm staying. No more show business. And, uh, I, you know, I actually get where he's coming from, honestly. But uh, anyway, th so therefore, the thing with me and the Bottle Rockets is a thing that is over now, more or less. But you know, if you were at any of these shows or those shows, you can get the uh, two CD set of the, and have a souvenir of the whole thing, you know. Yeah, and the whole thing ends on a, on a great high note uh, with a wonderful version of Richard Thompson's Valerie. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, I did that one uh, on one of my Warner Brothers albums. The last one I did for Warner Brothers uh, has a lot of... Uh, you know, outside material on it, just because I wasn't in the mood to write any songs at the time. And, uh, but Valerie, yeah, that's kind of stayed in the set over the years. It's, you know, it's just a good kind of guitar-playing song. And uh, the guy in the Bottle Rockets, John Horton, he plays his lap steel on that on that one. You know, it's just kind of, you know, it's just real nice. We're talking with Marshall Crenshaw. What, Marshall, what's on your playlist? If it's, uh, if it's, uh, oh, I don't know. Let's say it's a late summer, early fall night, and and you want to relax and kick back. Uh, what do you throw in the old stereo? You'd be surprised to hear this, maybe, <laughs> but I, I don't, I don't play that much music in the house. Uh, just as a rule, it's funny, but with my hearing being as, as beat up as it is, it's just like. I love the silence, but like the last, let me see. I bought some records recently. I got an album called Bennett Sings Basie Swings. Oh, man. That's Tony Bennett singing with the Count Basie Orchestra. And then I got an album in the mail from a friend of mine, and it's an old album by uh, guitar player Johnny Smith. And then uh, I bought the first Funkadelic album a little while ago. <laughs> uh, I was just in the car and I was. I had the 50s channel on for a minute. I always go back to the 50s stuff. The older I get, the more I, the more <laughs> I go back to that stuff. But uh, God, I don't know. I don't. Really, I wish I had a snappy answer for that one, but. Uh, 
that's my answer right at this moment. Hey, that's snappy like enough. If, for let's us. say it's Tony Bennett at Count Basie. That's my go-to right now. That works for us. Hey, what's the status? So last time we talked with you, uh, you were working on a, a documentary of the great producer Tom Wilson. How is that coming? It's coming along fine. It, it really is. We've got a big interview that we're going to do on Friday. I don't want to say who it's with, but uh, anyway, we're moving along. It's going great. We have a great director. The director on the Tom Wilson film, at least I hope he is going to hang in there and stick to stay. He will. But anyhow, uh, the director just has a, a new one out about Rick James that's on Showtime. Oh, nice. And uh, I just watched that one the other night. Anyway, you know, that's that's really kind of like it's been such an obsession the whole time I've been doing it. I'm really looking forward to seeing what I might be able to do if I'm not doing that because that's been pretty overwhelming. It's hard to do, you know. It's like it's hard to make a movie. Well, yeah, and then in COVID, COVID didn't exactly make it any easier. It's like what? COVID didn't exactly make it easier for you either. Nope, that just brought me to a dead stop for most of a year. Yeah, but uh, anyway, we're just all hanging in there, and now we're uh, out in the world again, playing rock and roll. It's actually uh, marvelous, you know, amazing, a gift, uh, and like I'm grateful. Well, we're grateful to have some new music uh, in the album, Wild Exciting Sounds of Marshall Crenshaw, live in the 20th and 21st centuries. It's so great to see you back out there on the road. I hope we can get you up here to New England at some point soon and, and have a chance to see you perform. I'll try to make it, I promise. All right, that sounds I, great. I'm going to be out and around in 2022, so I'll, I'll hope to see you there. That's a plan. Marshall, thanks as always for making time for us. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Rich. That's Marshall Crenshaw talking about his brand new double album of live recordings from the early 80s up here into the 21st century. When we come back after this word from Cross Insurance, one of the voices behind hits like Windy, Cherish, Never My Love, and more. Russ Jaguar of the Association coming up after this. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With the network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit CrossInsurance.com Com. Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Your basic mega hit from nineteen sixty six. Three weeks at number one on the Billboard charts for the association. Russ Jaguar is a founding member of the group, also the author of a wonderful memoir called Along Comes the Association. And we talked with Russ about how the band got started, the making of some of their biggest hits, and more here on Downtown. Russ, welcome, or, or should I call you the Phantom? <laughs> I love it. Hey, by the way, I, I'm a big fan of Jimmy Cliff. I love his uh, Harder to Become album. And I use Mary Clayton 
on uh, my album. Right, uh, that's what your wife told me that she uh, she sang yeah, on the yeah, the Hexagon Sixteen say. album. Yeah. Well, cool. let, let's talk about your roots, Russ. You're a Mainer. You were born in Kittery. I was born in Kittery. Uh, it was actually because I was across the uh, across the river from Portsmouth. It was a Navy hospital. So I was actually actually born at that hospital, but I lived in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. So how does a guy from Portsmouth, New Hampshire, become a key player in the whole Los Angeles music scene? Well, uh, it's my family moved out when I was five, and the uh, the uh, the memories of uh, the East Coast are very very uh, delineated. Uh, there's snow and uh, the uh, smells. My my grandmother's house was older than America. We lived right on the river there in Portsmouth, and I remember I remember the men and the kids sliding out in the wintertime, sliding out the second story window on down the snow, and then the men digging the women out. <laughs> you know, so it's uh, and then um, I was in San Diego when I was about 19. I left. San Diego, uh, because there was little happening there at all, and I was friends with Bob Stain, who was running the he ran coffee a coffee house in San Diego, a couple of them actually, but he ran the upper cellar, and he started uh, he became partners in the Ice House in Pasadena, and he invited me to be his light man. I took it, took him up on it, worked there for two years. Uh, I was playing guitar and singing at the time. And I was uh, the only thing that bothered me was I was just terrified to play in front of people. So I, I did one hoot. I worked for two years at the Ice House as light and sound man, and I did a hoot once a month at the uh, Ice House, and once a month at the Troubadour, and that got me over my stage fright. I met uh, Doug Weston through Bob, of course, but and Doug Weston after two years said. You ready to go professional, Russ? I was thrilled that he did. He would even notice. Well, and then uh, you guys uh, began uh, putting together a very interesting group called the Men. You were playing the Troubadour with this big yeah, group, yeah. and it, and in many ways, it was really the first folk rock group. It was the first folk rock, folk rock group for sure. Uh, uh, Barry McGuire had quit the Christie Minstrels, and they took the lead singer. <laughs> from the man, and replace him with him. With uh, him, and uh, two of the guys, Jerry Kirkman and Jules Alexander, asked me if I joined the men. I said, and I told him, I said, eleven guys. That's sort of like running a small country. <laughs> and uh, they said, well, come hear us. So I went to hear them. They were so good, and a few of them hadn't heard me, so I just said for them, and. Uh, I joined them. I was with them a few months, and the group broke up, and what? And we formed the association, and the next day started rehearsing. Now everybody knows the association. What they might not know, if I remember right from your wonderful book, is that you were you were almost called the aristocrats based on the yeah. classic yeah. joke. 
Well, we were looking. We were looking. There was a classic dirty joke called the. In fact, I think there was a movie made of it. Yes, there was. On, <laughs> on and we were looking up aristocrats to see what it really meant, and it, it didn't apply to us. So, uh, but Judy, uh, the lady who would eventually marry Terry, she said, "Well, here's a, right near aristocrats was association said, Here's an interesting one: association, a group of people united toward a common goal." We went great. That was it. It was silly. It was real easy. We're talking with Russ Jaguer of the association. Now, you guys had a very democratic structure. You voted on songs, but the song that became your first huge hit, Along Comes Mary, you didn't even need to vote because everybody knew they wanted to record it. No, it wasn't. Uh, Jules, our lead guitarist, played bass on the demo of the song. And four of us lived in a group house. We kept our instruments set up. And Jules, anyway, played on the demo of the song. The demo was like a demonstration record. And he came back that night, and he put it on. He said, listen to this song. And he put it on the record player, and everybody went, the four of us. Everybody wasn't there, just the four of us. We went, wow, what a song. Uh, Can you understand the words? We couldn't understand the words, so we just wrote down what we thought they were. And when the other guys arrived the next day, we put it on again and everybody went, wow, what a great song. We just started working on it. We never wrote it on it. We just started working on it. Well, it became a, a huge hit, a million seller. And of course, you've been asked the question a million times, what's that song all about, Russ? Well, it's about a lot of things, but I think the thing that people thought it was just about marijuana, it's about, it is about marijuana for sure, but it's about more than that. It's about the societal changes of the time, but it was a great song. We, we had given ourselves two years to have a top 40 record, and our first break, first time we broke the charts which was along of Mary, which I think went to number five or seven, something like that. And then our next hit was number one. Our next release was number one, so we were well on track, and we were happy, and we 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 were great. We had a great time. Well, yeah, you guys uh, owned the radio and the record charts in the summer of 1966. We were thrilled. Who who was it who said to you that the chords for Cherish weren't rock and roll chords? Oh, when when we were cutting our first album, one of the studio guys we used Jules played lead. We're using some of the studio, some studio guys for the uh, for the basic tracks, and this one guy, he was walking back back in the studio to do another take on Cherish. He said, he turned to me and he said, "You know, these are not rock and roll chords." <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't say anything, but they're really not not rock and roll chords. But so what? It's this great rock and roll ballad, but uh, that was, it was a number one hit. Three weeks at number one. Was it, it uh, rock and roll chords? <laughs> was it uh, was it Jim Yester who came up with uh, one of the great hooks in the song? The bum yes, bum did, bum. Didn't even remember the the bum 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 in the beginning. Uh, he came up with that on the way. Uh, he was on the on the way into uh, we were working at the Glendale Ice House, and he said I had this idea on the way in. And everybody was there. We, we had got there early. We had arrived early, and everybody was. So the tenors got on stage and tried bum bum bum, and uh, we tried it first that night, and we kept 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 it ever since. It was right. Great. 
It was great. I just loved it. Oh, it's a great song. Russ, what's the story? Can you share the story of how uh, your manager, uh, Pat Colecchio, kind of uh, rigged the vote a little bit when it came to deciding whether you'd record Windy? Well, on our third album, uh, we'd always vote on stuff. And Pat was convinced that Windy was a hit. And so he cheated. When they counted, the, we all voted on stuff, on the songs. And he said, and he he lied. He actually lied and said that Wendy had made the cut, and it actually didn't. And later he admitted that to us. He said, "That's the only time I ever deceived you guys." But I knew it was a hit, and he was right. It was. I remember when we were recording, and I was singing lead, and I remember in the studio singing, thinking. You know, this, it was called Windy, so I and it, it occurred to me only as I was saying lead that this is really going to kick ass at Chicago because it was the Windy City. You know, there's just going to be a great song. And I said, this is really going to, this is really going to get them in Chicago, and it was. It did, and it did. It was the whole Midwest. It was just incredible. We were we had gotten out of the studio, went back on the road on the road about a week, and we heard Wendy on the radio. We had not added it to the show yet. So <laughs> we, uh, that night, we were on our way to a concert, to do a concert. So that night, at the sound check, we added the song. <laughs> it was great. Wow. Wendy's always been a tremendous, just just a killer song. You had a great follow-up as well, uh, Dick and Donna Dreese's wonderful song, Never My Love, another another classic and another million seller. Great song. We Basically, we did it. That's that's the way they did it. All we did was add uh, harmonies to it. Even this, the, you know, the middle part, the ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba, you know, we, the, the fugue part, we just added more harmonies but we basically did it the way they did it. It's, the, a, it's a great song. It's just a great song. Great, great theme. The flip side of Never My Love is one of my favorite association recordings, and that is Requiem for the Masses. And I, I re, was reminded when I reread your book that that was inspired by a little brush with death on a flight. Yeah, I, uh, it was actually a little earlier than that. Uh, in The Men... We, we used to, uh, Bob Dylan had a tune called uh, Who Killed Davy Moore, which was based on Cock, Who Killed... Uh, uh, Cock Robin. Cock Robin. And so I said, so after we became the man, I said to Terry, I said, that was a, you know, that just sort of fell by the wayside. I said, you know, Terry, that was a great concept, concept of uh, just write a song and combine it with a, with a, with a requiem. And so when, uh, and Terry had a near-death experience on the airplane, <laughs> and he, he wrote that tune. How did you guys work out those incredible harmonies that were unlike anything else anybody was doing? Well, we just liked them. You know, so, I mean, we, we rehearsed for five or six months before we performed in front of anyone because we wanted to get the harmonies correct, you know, and then... Those, not everything. Some some of the some of the parts are just doubled, but some part some parts are six part harmony. So it's it, it was just it's just what we we didn't pattern ourselves after anything. We just liked uh, six part harmony. 
Now, you guys were everywhere doing TV shows, traveling around the country, doing a ton of dates. You met everybody along the way. But one of my favorite stories from your book, could you tell a little bit of the story of your meeting with Milton Berle? Well, Milton, Milton thought it was real funny. So when, during a rehearsal, when he was being introduced to us, he took he came up to me and he kissed me on the mouth and put his tongue down my throat. I just put my tongue right down his throat, and he didn't like that at all. He didn't like that at all. My mind was supposed to be, supposed to be blown, and it wasn't. And so uh, he was uh, he was not, he didn't like that at all. He was he was uh, then later during a rehearsal, we were taking a technical break during during the taping of the show. The, it was, uh, was it? Hollywood Palace, and uh, he was real rude to this lady in the audience. And Jimmy Durante was on that show as well. And he was sitting right in front of me, and this is the only reason I heard this. And and uh, Burl was just real rude with this lady, and I heard Durante say, "God have mercy on his soul," <laughs> you know. <laughs> It was just a weird one. Now, uh, in your single days, Russ, uh, you managed to meet a, a number of uh, very young, always smart women along the way. And, and I got to say, I'm pretty impressed uh, with the track record there, especially when I learned that, that you had dated along the way, among others, Helen Mirren and Linda Ronstadt. Yeah, I dated, I dated, dated Helen. I uh, A friend of mine and I were, had just done a concert uh, in Detroit. And we were taking a couple of days off, and then we had another concert, and we were having uh, dinner at a hotel. I can't remember what hotel it was, up at the top floor, great hotel. We were having a cocktail after the dinner, and this group of people came in, and they were laughing and having a great time. And this one lady was so beautiful. So uh, I had the waiter buy her a drink. We ended up meeting later and talking for several hours, and we ended up having a having a, a, a thing, you know. <laughs> then later, a, a few weeks later, I was there for a few days, so I went to, she was with the, uh, uh, let's see, the... Uh, Royal Shakespeare, Shakespeare Company, wasn't it? Yeah, Royal Shakespeare Company. And so she invited me, and I went and saw a show, one of their shows. And then a, a couple, of week, couple of days later, we were playing somewhere in the Midwest, so I flew, and she had a day off, so I flew her in. So and that was it. it. I was on the road, and so was she. But she was so bright and so beautiful. She was just wonderful. And Linda was—I uh, knew Linda for some time. And she was—we uh, were hanging out at a Troubadour at the bar, and I—I I asked if uh, we could spend some time together. She said sure. So we ended up uh, sort of going together for a year, half a year, something like that. It was great. Now, people may not know this, but uh, the association not only participated, played, but you guys opened the Monterey Pop Festival, and, and some people wouldn't expect that. It was great. I'll tell you, we were on the road so much in those days. We never got to see the acts that we played with. So we opened that festival, and we stayed all three days and all three nights and saw everybody. So it was great for us. It was It was a wonderful tour. I, it was wonderful not to do to stop touring for a minute to open the show, open the open the festival, and just see everybody. It was great. 
was thrilling for us. I met I met uh, Jimi Hendrix the first the first day that we uh, went for food. He was in the food line, and I met him. I had never heard of him. I didn't know who he was. We just some small talk and talking, goofing off. And then later when he performed, my mind was just blown. He was so good, and it was just a trio. And they were just ex. They were just so different from anything I had ever heard. You you say in your book, and you mentioned in a number of cases, you were surprised at how other musicians, other singers respected the work that the association did. And you were often uh, very surprised when when some legendary people would tell you how much they loved your work. Oh yeah, we get we got some. My my favorite compliment one time we were playing with an orchestra, I think in Detroit, and the. Uh, the conductor of the orchestra, he said, he announced to to everyone that we're going to take a, about a 15-minute break. And then he turned to me and he said, Russ, could I talk to you for a moment? And I said, sure. So he walked to the wings and he said he had, he had uh, studied with, uh, what was that guy? That guy? Uh, Leonard Bernstein. Leonard Bernstein. <laughs> you know it better than I do. <laughs> and uh, he had studied with Bernstein in New York. And he said, Bernstein used to always meet us at the door. And this one day, he didn't. He said he had a uh, portable record player on his uh, desk. And when everybody got in place, he opened the portable record player, turned it on, and put on Windy. <laughs> and he said, and then after it was in, he said, now that is a perfect record, which is the greatest compliment I've ever received, for sure. You guys went your separate ways for a while, but you reunited uh, in the early 80s, a, a TV special, uh, a tour that sounds like it was pretty wild as well, but also rumors of a secret album. Well, what's the story of that? Are there recordings? Well, there, no one knows what happened to this. We we were rehearsing, getting ready to go on the road, and we recorded a bunch of tunes. We, uh, we found some recordings. Uh, uh, recordings of some of the tunes, but not some, some of them are just lost. We cannot find where the, where the tape went. So, uh, so we might, we might release a partial album, but there's almost an album's worth of material of all fresh new stuff. But we still, we have a lot of it, but not the whole thing. For some reason we cannot, we cannot find it. Now we have talked on our show with a, a lot of guys who were on those those happy together tours, Gary Puckett and uh, yeah. Mickey Dolans, Mark Volman, uh, Volman from the Turtles. Those were some pretty fun times. Oh yeah, very intense. It was great. It was great fun. Great fun. We went on the first one in '84. It was wonderful. So as you look back on this, I mean, you're still involved. You don't perform with the band, but you handle a lot of the business affairs. And yeah, I handle all the business. As you look back on it now, uh, you, you've got to be very proud because uh, well, there was oh. a time when, when some people said, oh, the association, they're a pop band, but so well-respected. I think it sounds like if it wasn't for a little tiff with uh, with Jan Wenner, you guys would we, would be where you belong in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, yeah, I, I would think so. We had, we, there, they, there was a list that came out. And I guess it came out about 20 years ago. Of uh, the, the 100 most played tunes of all time, we have three of them. Yeah, nobody had more than that. No, the, the only people who had more was the was the Beatles 
And that's only because one of John Lennon's tunes, which he recorded when he wasn't with the Beatles, was counted, and so they counted it four for the Beatles. But a couple of people had had uh, had three tunes like us. But uh, yeah, Ter- Terry had a, an argument with the with uh, the owner of the of the of Rolling Stone at the time, and uh, he ne- Terry would never talk about it. And of course, the guy, the guy. I think the guy is now passed on. Well, you belong there. There's no question about that. The no songs, question. no uh, question at all. Uh, the greatest hits album, still one of the biggest albums in the history of Warner Brothers no Records. Sense. And uh, listening to it the other night, the song sounds so fresh, so great. One of my favorites. Even though I don't think you sang lead on this one, but I loved it. Despite that, everything that touches you, just an amazing song. Oh, great! Too. Well, it was a top ten hit. It was a hit. It was. You know, it, 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 that was a lot of people's favorite song. Well, I can understand it why. It doesn't get the uh, the Never by Love, Cherish, and Wendy get a lot more uh, press. Well, the best thing is, uh, you guys, as you know, you brought a whole lot of joy to a lot of people, and your music continues to do that. And uh, I loved your we're, book. We were, we were a very lucky guy. The fact that oh, the band's still together after 50 years, and two, it's, two of the guys are original guys, Jim Yester and Jules Alexander. Jim, Jim sang lead on Along Comes Mary, and, and Jules, our original lead guitarist, is still with the band. Larry Ramos died a few years back. His brother is still with the band. Brian Cole died in 72. His son is with the band. So we're still a six-man band. And, and still sounding still great, and we're, we're glad to have... Good shows. We're glad to have the opportunity to talk with you, Russ. So read the book if you haven't already. Along comes the association. It's a wonderful story of a, a terrific group, and it uh, sounds like a, a great group of guys who have stayed close for all these years. Russ, we, we thank you so much for making time for us today. My pleasure. I love talk. I love. I I still am very proud of the group. I'm proud of the group. I'm proud of the time that I spent with them. And they still do good shows. That is awesome. Russ, thank you so much. I appreciate your time uh, making time for us today. Thanks very much, Rich. Russ Jaguer of the Association, remembering some great music with us. Our thanks to Russ and the great Marshall Crenshaw as well. And thanks to you for joining us this week on the podcast. Give us a big old five-star review if you're so inclined. Subscribe, tell your friends, spread the good word, and uh, we'll take care of you down the road. We promise. Remind you every week, Downtown is brought to you by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. And we'll see you next time here on Downtown.